0: Good morning, I'm Anna Palmer, and welcome to The Daily Punch, brought to you by Punchbowl News. It's Thursday, April 29th, 2022. Let's get into the mix. Here are your Washington headlines of the day. Number one, a new fight emerges over a domestic terrorism bill. Number two, the latest on USICA. And number three, J. Martin and Alex Burns strike again. All right, let's get into it this morning. We have a very interesting top in Punchbowl News AM all focused on how House Democrats came into this week expecting quick passage of a domestic terrorism bill focused on the growing threat from white supremacists. But enter Representative Cory Bush, the Democrat from Missouri, and the squad And what once looked like a slam dunk may now not happen at all. H.R. 350, the Domestic Terrorism Prevention Act, has 207 co-sponsors, including three Republicans, and passed the House by voice vote during the last Congress. The bill would create domestic terrorism officers within the Department of Homeland Security, the Department of Justice, and the FBI. Earlier this week, senior House Democrats said they plan to work with the Department of Justice to quote-unquote tweak the bill. Democratic leaders said a small language revision was needed to get Bush and outside groups who are opposed to the measure, such as the ACLU and the Council on American-Islamic Relations, back on board. But... Like all things in Washington, few things are easy. And after talking to squad members, it's clear it's not going to be that easy. We talked to several of them and are quoting them, including Representative Ilhan Omar, the Democrat from Minnesota, who said, quote, it's not happening. It's a horrible bill. Jamal Bullman, the Democrat from New York, also added, I need a clearer definition on how we're defining domestic terrorists, and we need a longer conversation around is more money needed to support this? Now, supporters of the bill were adamant the legislation created no new statutes and no new surveillance lists, despite claims from opponents. A major frustration among the bill's backers is that the progressive complaints lack specificity and were raised too late in the process to actually address them without delaying the vote. Senior Democrats had some awareness of potential problems with Bush going back to the House Judiciary Committee vote in early April. Bush was asked to, quote, Take a walk instead of voting no on the bill in committee, multiple sources told us. Democratic leaders didn't expect Bush to rally enough support from colleagues and outside groups to threaten the bill. Yet here we are. There's also an interesting dynamic here that I want to just play out a little bit, and that is this undercurrent at play about the evolving dynamics both within the Democratic caucus and the CBC specifically and the ongoing tension between some members of the squad and the CBC. CBC members have long been concerned that progressive challengers backed by prominent liberal groups have singled out black incumbents as their targets. Bush herself did this in 2020, defeating Representative Lacey Clay, the Democrat from Missouri and a popular CBC member whose father helped found the group. Those tensions have persisted. Senior CBC members were upset that squad members who belonged to the group didn't come to a special swearing in for Representative Chantel Brown, the Democrat from Ohio, after she won a special election in November, for instance. And Bush's relationship with the CBC in particular was described by several CBC members as strained, complicated and non-existent. While several CBC members said they wanted to have a relationship with Bush following her ouster of clay, they also complained that the first-term lawmaker makes no effort to attend CBC meetings or interact with the broader group. None of these Democrats wanted to speak on the record, requesting anonymity to explain internal CBC dynamics. This episode also speaks to some of the challenges facing the CBC in a changing Congress. Some younger Democrats see themselves more as individuals than members of the group, and the once-muted divisions along generational, geographical, and even ideological lines are now on public display. This is going to be a dynamic to watch, certainly in the coming days and weeks, And Bush responded when asked about her relationship with the caucus, saying, I mean, we're part of the CBC. But Bush explains her standing within the caucus differently, telling us she still has the mentality of an activist, despite serving in Congress. Bush, a prominent Black Lives Matter figure, led the protests in Ferguson, Missouri, after a white police officer shot and killed unarmed black teenager Michael Brown in 2014. And of course, she garnered a lot of national attention last year when she bucked Democratic leaders and led a multi-day protest to oppose the Biden administration's decision not to extend the federal eviction moratorium. Bush captured national attention by sleeping on the Capitol steps as part of her protest. The Biden administration bowed to the pressure campaign, extending the eviction moratorium, only to have the Supreme Court strike down the extension a few weeks later. I see things differently than the folks that were not out there in the BLM movements, Bush told us Wednesday evening. So I think that that makes a difference. All right. Certainly something to watch. Let's move on to the number two story of the morning. We've got some chips news. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell agreed on a China tech bill timeline. The two have finally agreed on a pathway to begin an official House Senate conference on the Bipartisan Innovation Act, a massive package to ensure U.S. technological competitiveness with China. Late last night, Schumer announced on the Senate floor that he and McConnell agreed on 28 motions to instruct. Those are those politically tricky votes that precede entering into a formal conference negotiation. Eight of those votes were crafted by Democrats and 20 by Republicans. We've got the list that the GOP was circulating last night. Among the votes that were approved by both leaders, they include Senator Bernie Sanders' motion to prohibit a $10 billion NASA contract for Jeff Bezos' blue origin for the NASA lunar landing. The Senate will vote on those MTIs next week. And the Senate will vote today on cloture to enter into the conference negotiations and on making their conference negotiators official. Of course, you have heard us talk about this bill pretty much ad nauseum for the past several months. It has been in the works for nearly a year, with Schumer spending a huge amount of time on the issue. The Senate passed its version last summer, with the House passing two different versions of its own. Senators tell us that it could take until the end of summer to hammer out a final package. There are more than 100 lawmakers from the House and Senate involved in the conference negotiations, all with varying priorities. All right, let's on to the number three story of the morning. What everyone's talking about, man. It is fair to say that This Will Not Pass is going to be a smashing success. The entire week on Capitol Hill has been dominated by House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy and Minority Whip Steve Scalise responding to the leaked tapes that Jonathan Martin and Alex Burns obtained. The book has been at the top of the Amazon charts. And we have another interesting excerpt. This time, it's Trump at Mar-a-Lago talking to J-Mart and Burns from the book. In an interview the authors conducted with Trump at Mar-a-Lago in the spring of 2021, the former president expressed utter confidence in his control of the Republican Party and waved away the criticism he had drawn from both the party's legislative leaders. McConnell, Trump said, matter-of-factly is bad news. Had Mitch stuck with many members of the party who knew the election was rigged, I think we wouldn't be at Mar-a-Lago, Trump said, clinging to the fantasy of a stolen election. The two write... We would be at the White House having this conversation. Yet in a sign that no amount of flattery can protect anyone from being humiliated by Trump, the former president was dismissive of McCarthy. Trump waved aside McCarthy's claims of challenging the former president in private. The two write, according to Trump, the Republican leader's tough talk after January 6th was just that talk. No, Trump said McCarthy had not clashed with him over the phone with the riots still in progress. He wouldn't say that, Trump said. So why then did McCarthy go around claiming to other people that he's tougher with Trump in private than he really is? The former president packed his two-word diagnosis with contempt. Inferiority complex, Trump said. All right. Well, this is going to be one to watch and read because that is certainly going to leave a mark on Kevin McCarthy. And with that, thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate it. If you could leave us a rating and review, it's the best way for folks to find out about The Daily Punch. You can also subscribe to Punchbowl News at punchbowl.news. Have a great day and stay safe.